Welcome to Breaking the Glass Slipper. Today, I'm honoured to have Cameron Hurley with us talking about her latest book, The Stars Are Legion. I'm also going to be asking her all about space operas and feminist speculative fiction and being in fandom. So, Cameron, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, so if any of our listeners don't know who you are. Well, I write books. Uh, I, uh, That's a good stuff. I'm the author. <laughs> I know. I figured. I'm the author of uh, a series called the God's War uh, trilogy. Uh, won the Golden Tentacle Award and uh, Cindy J. Bounds Award for Best New Writer. Uh, I also am the author of the Worldbreaker Saga, which is an epic fantasy series uh, starting with the Mirror Empire. And that's also about from Angry Robot Books. Uh, I'm mostly known for writing an essay actually called We Have Always Fought, which is about the history of women in combat and uh, uh, was awarded a Hugo Award in 2013, I believe. Uh, and uh, I write a lot online and get in a lot of trouble. Uh, and then, yeah, my latest one out is The Stars Are Legion, which is an all-women space opera, because why the hell not? Love it. Uh, so, I mean, I know you're, you kind of uh, made your name as a, a series writer. So kind of I wanted to know what made you decide to just write a standalone novel after finding success with series. Well, you know, some of it was uh, I was approached actually by Joe Monty at Saga Press after he heard me on a podcast. Uh, and he had said, uh, I heard that you talking about you had a proposal for a space opera. And I think space opera is going to be hot pretty soon. Do you want to send me a uh, the proposal? I'm like, sure. So I did. And uh, he said, you know, we're going to sign you for two books. And uh, he's like, they don't need to be series books. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't pitch him a series. I just pitched him this one book. And I thought, you know, um, I'm much more comfortable uh, with this whole thing again, having a two book deal that I would do, you know, two standalone books. A, a lot of publishers right now are doing this thing where um, they'll only sign you for the first two books in any kind of series or they just want a two book deal to see how the first two do. And if I am not guaranteed <laughs> that I can do the full series, I'd rather just kind of do one-offs at this point because I've had some, um, you know, frightening moments until all the sales came in and everything looked okay about not being able to finish the series. So it was um, – it started out like with that as a more practical uh, idea. And then I think as I started getting into it, um, I was like, you know, even if this was a hit, I wouldn't want to do more just because it was so satisfying to just get to the end and stop, uh, and not have to like have a, you know, I have wikis that I use for, to keep uh, track of characters and all my series stuff. Um, so, so yeah, so some of it was, you know, the, the publishing machine and some of it was once I started getting into it, realizing, um, how satisfying that was for me as a writer to just kind of let it lie uh, and move on to the next thing. So, yeah, well, I'm, personally, I'm a really big fan of standalone, um, SF novels, especially I, mm. and it's really nice to come across one that, you know, is just fabulous because, uh, just with all the women, you know, in this book, it, it just blew my mind a little bit, but I'm. I'm almost at the end. So, yeah. I know. Yeah, yeah. No <laughs> do you know what uh, – do you have your plan for the next standalone or is that still in – I do. Um, I do. We just talked to uh, Joe, my editor, uh, a few months ago about it. I, I actually wrote a short story called The Light Brigade um, and uh, it came out in Lightspeed Magazine. And it is about time-traveling soldiers uh, who are actually beamed to the front on – uh, uh, these waves of light and one of them figures out how to time travel. So that is going to be, uh, it's another um, near-ish, uh, maybe 300 years in the future, um, science fiction novels. So that's like the nearest future I've ever done because <laughs> Stars of Legion is like, woo, it's way out there. Um, 
But uh, but this one will probably be, yeah, the, the nearest future science fiction uh, book that I've done. And again, built as a standalone book and just one um, in the old school style of uh, science fiction novels. So, yeah. Okay. So this brings us neatly to, you know, the um, in a lot of your work, you focus on war and um, a lot of these kind of generational conflicts, uh, conflicts between different peoples and different worlds. You know, what is it that draws you to writing about war and military kind of SF? Um, my academic background is actually in the history of uh, resistance and propaganda. Um, I, I researched uh, the role of women um, in combat in South Africa uh, in the war against apartheid and how propaganda was used to uh, recruit student fighters and women fighters. Um, about 20% of Mkoto um, Isizwe, which is um, the military arm of the African National Congress, was women. Uh, and as I found out, as I started doing more research into that, that that was actually a pretty typical number. Uh, you would see, you know, 20, 30 percent of these forces, these rebel forces were generally composed of women. And I thought, gosh, we never see that <laughs> when, mm. we're, when we're looking at, um, you know, shows about the resistance. Uh, it's like the resistance is it's all dudes and like one lady. And I was like, you know, unless you're seeing two or three in every 10 um as uh, as women, uh, you're not actually seeing what is a historically accurate um, picture of revolutionary armies, which is fascinating. Um, and let alone if you're making fantastic, you know, societies, you can do whatever you want. Yeah. Uh, so that was kind of where, and I'm trying to figure out, you know, where that sort of came from. My interest in South Africa. Um, some of that was just having a real interest in racism and segregation in America, uh, and wanting to understand why we do the stupid ass things that we do. A very good question to ask right now. Right, is it? Right, I know. <laughs> How are we so fucking stupid every time? Um, and what it was, you know, I found it was a lot easier for me to understand when I placed myself in another culture, because once I started studying South African history and I came back to the U.S., I saw racism much more clearly, like for the first time I'm white. So I grew up in a little white town, which is, was forcibly white because there were, you know, they did not allow, uh, people in Washington, Oregon, California who, um, were not white there for a very, very long time. Like they'd literally burn you out. And so we think that, oh, it's just natural that there are just these all white towns. No, <laughs> it's the most unnatural thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but the more I was able to, again, it's, it's all about placing yourself in a different, you know, culture and context. And that's what I do in my fiction. Um, I place people into different cultures and contexts. And that's my hope is that it kind of gets people to re-examine their own assumptions, right? Um, once they come out of the story and go, yeah, why is that? Why do we do things this way? And and how could things be really different? And that definitely all comes from uh, my academic background, you know, researching um, those sorts of issues. Uh, and I just, I you know, I, and I really started picking up, you know, to be to be honest, my um, it also very useful for these dark times. My uh, my grand grandmother grew up in uh, Nazi occupied France. And uh, my grandfather was a GI and they met uh, during the war after uh, liberating uh, France. And um, so they had stories. Right. And that was their that was their story is uh, of, you know, punching Nazis. <laughs> so yeah. so uh, I researched a lot uh, and it just was one of those things when you grow up with those stories as a kid. Um, it become you, you do you start to wonder how is this. You know, how does this happen and why do people do the things that they do? Um, and in fact, I was one of the 
one of the people, people thought I was nuts in November going, this is it. And it was like, what? It's like, no, I've researched this. This is my background. This is it. Um, so, so for better or worse, uh, I, I do have a, an academic background and interest in, um, you know, war and, and, uh, why we do the, the terrible things that we do and why we keep doing them, unfortunately. So, and that just is reflected in, in, uh, in the work that I do. So, yeah, I mean, you talked a, lo- a, a bit about how, you know, our represent- representations of resistance and things like they always seem to have the full of men. And mm-hmm. science fiction as a genre, especially sort of military SF and space operas, you see them being kind of the most masculine of this already masculine <laughs> genre. So how do you mm-hmm. find that um, readers and sort of the, the wider fandom react to when you're writing about these kind of very masculine themes and areas with all these women in them? You know, uh, God's War is a, is a really good example of that. That was my um, my first novel that came out. Um and it is set in uh, this uh, colonized world that's, you know, at perpetual war and all the men are off at the front. So it's ruled by women. Uh, and it's about this bounty hunter who's this total badass kind of um, sociopath. And she's great. <laughs> she's a lot of fun to write. You know, it's really funny, though, because if I have a gender neutral name. So uh, when people I've had people pick up that book and assume that I'm a guy. Uh, and they really love the book uh, and they think it's amazing and fantastic. And they realize why I'm a woman and it like sh- they and, it, and they, they have to face their own like um, prejudices because they do. Mm-hmm. They turn around and they think, oh, SJW, wait, I was tricked. And it's like it's the same book. <laughs> it's the same ideas. But somehow if a dude was doing it, um, they they had a, a, a they thought it was much more interesting, whereas if a woman did it, then it must be political, right? <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, so I think, and, and the casual readers a lot of time, I think, just kind of assume since uh, it is a very, like, kick-ass, you know, balls-to-the-wall, chop-off-everyone's-head book, um, they do kind of assume that, that it's uh, written by a guy. And that's just, again, those are the assumptions that we bring uh, to science fiction. Um, and it's it's... Uh, unfortunate and also funny when <laughs> when they come to me and they're like, I totally thought you were a dude <laughs> on Twitter. And I'm like, yep, well, go buy everything that I wrote. So, um, but yeah, so as far as, um, uh, you know, reception of my work, I, I would say um, there are still people who, when they hear, you know, that it's written by a woman, there's there's assumptions that it, there's it's all romance, and I'm like, no. Um, there's assumptions about, you know, is it is it all touchy feely, and I'm like, well, no, no. There's a fine books; those are great. I mean, geez, if I could if I could write romance, I'd write romance because you have way more money writing romance. <laughs> Um, but it's just not my cup of tea. Uh, but it is frustrating where people do uh, make assumptions and you really have to um, have like uh, a lot of push behind a book to, for people to understand, for people to push past their assumptions um, to understand that, no, actually you're writing like this kick-ass um, you know, space opera about, you know, blowing stuff up and backstabs and betrayals and, um, and all of that. Uh, you know, so overall though, um, you know, I, I produce about a book a year and to be honest, um, I'm very active in the science fiction community. I know a lot of folks, um, 
I have had a really great time, like just getting to know other authors. And I found that they've been, um, for the most part, you know, I mean, there's, there's always the contingent who are jerks, but that's just how it is. Uh, for the most part, people have been very open and happy to have me. And again, like I won two Hugo awards, which is basically like the, the popular, <laughs> the popular yeah. award, um, in the field. Um, so it's like, you can do it. I'm not, I'm not going to say that it's easy because you fight all these same things and these assumptions. Um, and you have to kind of get out this message about your work. Um, I will say it's very interesting because I did know coming in that there was usually going to be a one woman, right? Like people will be like, Oh, I recommend, you know, Stephen Baxter and Greg Bear and Ursula Le Guin. And it's like, that's, you know, that's it. There's Mm -hmm. one, there's Le Guin, right? That's it. Um, and so I knew I'm like, there's going to be one woman and it is interesting, um, reading, you know, like recommendation threads on Reddit and people are like, oh, and like, here are these six dudes and Cameron Hurley. And I'm like, ah, <laughs> um, it's like some people, it's like, there can only be one. And then, and then I'm like, it's cool that I'm the one. I mean, that was my goal, but I knew I was like, I was like, shit, if I'm the one, then someone else isn't the one. Why do we have to have a one? <laughs> Why is there one? Um, Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's what I'm kind of combating now is being like, you know, why can't there be 20 of us and 20 something else and 20 of, you know, um, is trying to make sure that people don't get into that. Again, that whole thing where there's the girl. Right. And we see that in movies and, and TV all the time. It's like, uh-huh. here are the four guys and the girl Stranger Things on Netflix. Oh, here is the guys and the girl who is also a manic pixie dream girl. And anyway. Yeah. And, and you know, Rogue One was the same. Yes. Oh, my God. It drove me crazy. Oh, it's like they had to make up for the fact that it was a, uh, a, a, a hero, you know, who's female. I'm like, geez, you guys, like Alien had more women and more women female characters in 1979 or whatever uh, yeah. um, than, than you have in Rogue One. But anyway, um, <laughs> and it is. So it's something our brains just naturally do. Um, and uh, I would like to combat that in some way. So anyway, um, yes, that stuff is out there. Can it be combated? Yes, but it is exhausting. And not everybody um, has the stamina to do it. And I, I completely understand. Um, my, I'm doing my part to try to make sure to like, you got to open up like the, the, you know, the, the world after you. Um, and I try very hard to you know, blurb other people's books to talk about their stuff to search. I, I actually spend a lot of time now. I'm um, looking for um, new women writers uh, and and promoting people that I really like because I want to make sure that um, you know more than one can can get out ahead of the crowd there. Um, so so yeah, yeah. I don't want to be depressing, but. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> That's the whole reason we started the podcast. I mean, our first uh, episode was talking about how the in all the sort of best of science fiction and fantasy, you know, there's yes. it was just all men, and again, like, as mm. you say, like one, maybe two women. And Le Guin, yeah, yeah, yeah. Le Guin. <laughs> it's always Le Guin. I mean, she's fantastic. But she's great. Yeah, she is the best. And that was what I told myself. I'm like, if I'm gonna be the one, I have to be the best. I mean, you have to be like to be a white dude, like. You just got to be like competent and show up at events and turn stuff in. Like as a woman, you got to be the fucking best. <laughs> it sucks. It sucks to have to be the best. Um, and it really is something I think about, right? Like I am constantly working to level up my craft, to be better about, you know, promotion and covers and how I talk about my work and how I pitch my work. 
um, and just at a technical level to write really incredible page turning books. And I try and level up with each book because, um, I really, I I've, I've noticed, right. It's like, yeah, the dudes just got to show up, but like, we have to be exceptional. So, yeah. Do you find yourself sort of like reacting to the, any of this backlash by kind of being deliberately provocative or do you try to just stick to exactly what you want to say and try not to let any of that other criticism in? Well, you know, I, for the most part, I write what I want to write. Um, I had somebody, you know, get annoyed that I was calling um, Stars or Legion lesbians in space because it really is. It's lesbians. It's all women. They're all women. It's there's mm-hmm. a hard science fiction reason that they um, that they all are biologically, um, you know, uh, sex female, um, and there is a reason for that. Uh, so. You know, did I write that to be deliberately provocative? I wrote it because I actually went on Twitter and it was not my first idea for the book. My first idea for the book was I want these uh, amazing uh, organic world ships because I figured, hey, you know, you're traveling through deep space. Um, The distances are so long. All of our mechanical things are going to break down. The smartest way to do this is actually to create organic ships that can regenerate themselves and organic systems, you know, with people in them. Um, and it actually was not until I actually went to Twitter and I said, does anyone know of a book that has absolutely no mention of men, no male characters, no men in the universe? No. Oh, the men over there. Right. I was like, does anyone know that? I know some feminist science fiction book from the seventies has got to have this. Um, and people were like, no, it's like, and they're like, Ammonite has these couple male astronauts. There's Joanna Russ's when it changed where the male astronauts come in from, you know, um, from afar and, and kind of, uh, take, they're not taking over the world, but they're changing the world. Um, and, uh, you know, some other ones where it's like, yes, it's about this female society, but they are liberating women from men at a different society. So it's like everything that we came to, we couldn't find one. Uh, and I said, well, if it's not there, I should write it. Uh, and some of that is just like you find a niche, right? Has mm-hmm. there been a book that has done X? It's like uh, Anne Leckie, Ancillary Justice is a yes. great example. Yeah. Has there been a book that has just been like, everyone is she? Then that's just, there's, I just see, you know, one gender in our culture and it is she um, or no gender really. Uh, and and yeah, you you look for those things because you want to find a niche. You want to find something that hasn't been done before. I find a lot of the time, um, you know, these books that, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, I just want to read the same old story that's been done the same old way and it doesn't have any SJW politics. And I'm like, those are the boring. Like they've yeah. been written a bazillion times. We have a bazillion of those. Why don't you write something different and new that no one has written before? And a lot of the times what those different and new things are include the people that were written about before. <laughs> Imagine that. Um, so it's not necessarily, it's like, it's like, yeah, do I want to write about myself and see myself and, and people I know in, uh, in the future? Sure. It also is a very, um, you know, it's a very strategic thing to do because then you can actually talk about something that is different. Uh, I think a lot of people come out and go, why didn't my, you know, story that sounds like everyone else's story get any traction. I'm like, well, because it's everyone else's story. You need to be doing something a little bit different, something a little bit new. Um, Otherwise, why should we talk about it? Especially now, there's so much news. (laughs) It's like, how are you going to stand out writing the same story everyone else is writing? 
Um, so yeah, for the most part, you know, and I, I do appreciate it. Um, I would not have been able to sell, sell this book. I mean, dead serious. My agent, um, you know, told me, I think when we got together 2012, early 2013, um, had said, Hey, I don't know that I can sell a book with all women in it. Um, and I was like, well, that's fair. And so we worked on world breaker instead, but yeah, when Joe came to us, um, it's a great story. Joe, uh, Monty at Saga Press, uh, he said, hey, again, I, we were going back and forth. I was rewriting some stuff for him. We hadn't signed the deal yet. I sent him the proposal. He read it over, and then he emails my agent, and she forwarded me this this uh, email stream. And he goes, Hannah, uh, he's my agent, Hannah, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I just reread this. And I realized, are, are there all women in this book? <laughs> and she she emails back, that's right, Joe. And I'm like, I'm skimming down the email. And he goes, oh, my God, that's perfect. That's even better. I want it now. So <laughs> um, so things had changed because Ancillary Justice had come out. Yes. Uh, the fact that that did really well made it possible for me to sell this uh, in a way that I think people would have hesitated uh, before that. Just because, again, and uh, and uh, Anne will tell you, too, her agent said to her, hey, you know, do we want to fix this gender thing? <laughs> Yeah. And she's like, no, no, it is fixed. <laughs> this is the gender thing. Um, so, uh, so yeah, there was, there was some hesitance, but I think, I think again, every book that does well, um, clears the way for the next book. Yeah. I mean, we've seen, um, sometimes where we find that publishers kind of, you know, they, they tend to take no, you know, they want to avoid risk and they keep publishing the mm -hmm. same kind of things that did well last time. But again, you, you don't get these standout novels. You don't get the success of ancillary yep. justice without taking that chance. And it's, yep. they're always the most exciting ones. So, yep. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're very risk averse. Uh, Cause, and I understand they have to sell it's, it's like Hollywood. You get to sell it yeah. to yeah. people who don't even a lot of times understand the genre at all. Um, and, uh, and so I, I totally get that, but it is true. It's been, and I, my day job is in marketing and advertising and, you know, we get clients to come to us and go, we want to quadruple our revenue. And we say, okay, great. We're going to need to do something crazy and outside the box. And they're like, no, hmm. can you just change a few <laughs> words and maybe put a new logo on it? And we're like, you're not going to quadruple, no risk, no reward, man. Um, and it is publishing's like that. It's like, they don't want to take risks and Hollywood too. They don't want to take risks. Mm. Um, and I'm just like, if you take a bunch of small bets, uh, you know, you can get a big reward. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's just, it's, it's harder and harder for them because they want that, uh, now that they're all owned by big corporations, it can't be just, Hey, we're profitable. It has to be, we have constant growth. Uh, and that's very difficult to do. So. All right. So let's talk a little bit more specifically about the stars of Legion. So this is a space opera. So what, you know, what drew you to space opera? Are there any tropes that you really wanted to explore or subvert or anything? Yeah. Uh, again, as I had said, it, for me, a lot of it was I wanted to do something with an organic legion of spaceships. Um, I wanted to kind of test out and play in the sandbox of uh, if we wanted to actually travel between um, uh, galaxies and those immense distances and we didn't have like faster than light travel, how would we do that. Um, and I wanted to explore the idea of, yeah, like a legion of starships, um, that were made like a, uh, solar system full of worlds that were all 
uh, ecosystems that were all um, working separately. Um, and I, I wanted to just, I wanted to play with that. Um, and of course, then I, I really love, um, I've always been a, a fan of the, the generation starship thing where like people forget, you know, <laughs> where, yes. where they were going and what they were doing and what their purpose was. And they, they form something else. Right. And they start to, and I love the infighting. I love the idea of, you know, these warring starships. I love, um, you know, the family feuds and the, the wars for, you know, uh, uh, getting control of, of, you know, what's left of, of kind of these, these organic masses. So, so I love to play with that idea of politics on a grand scale, but not like within our universe, but within like a universe that was, or I should say a star system that was made by, there's an artificial star system basically that's traveling to God knows where doing God knows what, um, and, uh, and yeah, so that was, that was really my draw, uh, for that one is, is that I really love that idea of everyone is forgotten and things are decaying and what do you build on top of that? And how are things different? Once again, um, if we, if you are literally living in, um, a world that is, you know, decaying all around you, uh, you know, how do you, how do you go forward and what do you need to sacrifice and what do you need to do, um, to, to move on. So, um, so those are the things that really I found very compelling. Um, yeah, it's interesting. So uh, not, it's not a spoiler, I don't think, because it's, it's like the premise of the opening chapter. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. you've got Zan who has lost her memory, so she has no memory. She doesn't know what's happening. And you kind of get that a little bit of the, the unreliable narrator. You've got her not sure who to trust and, and what's truth, what's fiction and all this kind of thing. Um, and that really intrigued me, and and I was just wondering how you came to to decide that that was the way you were going to tell this narrative. Uh, it was really hard um, because I hate amnesiacs in space. I hate it. Uh, I actually hate the trope of people waking up in an empty room and then like then we fill in the blanks. Um, but what had happened was I sat down. I talked to uh, Joe once again, and. Um, he said, you know, I love all of your fiction. Uh, he's he's a big fan of, like, weird, crazy stuff, which is great. It's wonderful. He's my editor. Um, and he said, the problem is, you know, it takes, it takes a good 50 pages to get into my stuff because a lot of the worlds that I build um, prior to this book were – I just threw you into the action. And there were cars that were um, you know, fueled by bugs. There's bug magic. There's – people chopping off other people's heads there. Yeah. The, like you're, you're like, what is going on? And there's me mi- toxic miasmas going. It's like mad max. Anyway, it's all crazy. There's parallel universes colliding. It's all nuts. And so it takes you like 50 pages to go, what the hell is happening in this book? Um, and he said, the issue with this one is he's like, I really, I want to, we wanted to create a page turner, right? That something mm-hmm. someone could get into who was not necessarily into science fiction. And I said, that's fine. But again, I don't want to compromise my core values and the things that I want to write about. This is going to be a weird effing book. Um, I want it to be strange and gooey and gross and fighting and war. And he's like, that's fine, but we need to ease them into it. So, um, I actually, what finally, um, and I, di- I didn't want someone coming from the outside, which is what you see with Le Guin and like the dispossessed. That's mm-hmm. how she kind of yeah. got people into it was, um, or not dispossessed, uh, left hand of darkness where yes. she got people into it. Like, Hey, it's someone from the outside and you putting yourself in the, uh, the reader in the position of that person and then showing you the world that way. I, d- I didn't want to yes. do that. I wanted something that was inside organic. So I had to come up with this, um, concept of, again, Zan has lost her memory. Again, no spoilers. It is, it's clear that she this is not the first time she's lost her memory. Um, why is that? 
Uh, and that way I could ease people into it because she, I was revealing things to her and she was finding things out, which is also very important, um, that she is deliberately trying to find things out, um, and driving that narrative so that you don't realize, like literally a lot of, a lot of readers like get to the halfway point in the book and that that's the point you eat at which you either go, what the hell is this? And you throw it across the room or you go, what the hell is this? And you get really excited because it gets, it's that's when the weirdly, really weird stuff comes. Um, and so I save that, right. Instead of dumping you into the weird, you wake up with the amnesiac in space. She, you get all these mysteries up front where you're like, Oh, what's going on? You assume that it is a certain sort of spaceship. But as you start to see how things are described, you're like, Whoa, 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 wait a minute. Um, and so it was very deliberate. It was a very deliberate choice. I actually finally decided to do it after watching, um, rewatching. Um, I was actually watching a ton of space operas uh, to help me kind of get into this mode. Um, Pandorum, which is a really great uh, generation ship um, uh, movie, uh, where again, it's it's he wakes up, he has no memory, uh, and things is weird. Like everything's weird, and you don't know where the ship was going and what happened and how long it's been. And uh, I thought it was very successful. And I said, you know. If you can do amnesiac in space, you just have to do it really well. So I'm like, I'm gonna do it really well. <laughs> so, so that's what I that's what I attempted to do. So, so are there any um, sort of other space operas that you say like these are like the favorite ones that you inspired you to want to write space opera or explore that genre? That's a really good question. Um, you know, uh, certainly I I appreciated um, Ancillary Justice for what it did. Um, I, I was actually a huge fan of like old school stuff, like the stars, my destination, um, just because they're so wild and crazy and nuts. I love nuts stuff. Um, John Clute wrote a really good one called Appleseed, which is weird. You may think my, so it was weird, um, weird and wonderful. Uh, and, uh, that one was really actually the one that, I think it's, and that, that was, that was, man, I read that like in my early twenties, so many years ago. Uh, but that was a really great one because it, it show, it reminded me that you can do anything and that the future, uh, is going to be very alien, right? It should be just as alien as, as a fantastic setting. Uh, and he did a lot of cool stuff with, uh, you know, the words that people use and all of that. Um, you know, what? an amazing one actually it just came out as Ada Palmer's I guess I would, I don't know. I consider it a space opera, but Ada Palmer's, um, to like lightning is this incredible far future, um, you know, world setting where basically everything that's old is new again. They kind of ape like, um, I think it's 18th, something in the 18th, no, maybe 16th century, but they basically ape the 16th century, um, like aesthetic and thinking and all of this stuff. And, and, and it, it's turning the past into the future, which we do all the time, retro stuff all the time. Um, and it's really incredible um, the way that she does it. Um, so, yeah, so a lot of, I had to read a lot of um, had to uh, <laughs> going going back to going back to that whole to be taken seriously as a female science fiction writer. Uh, I realized very early on that I needed to read all of the classic science fiction so that when those uh, old white guys in the audience go, well, if you haven't read blah, blah, blah. If you haven't read Alfred Bester, you're not a real writer. You haven't read Heinlein, you're not blah, blah, blah. Um, so I read all those things. Um, I hate Heinlein, but uh, I did read a lot of his stuff. Um, 
and I love Alfred Bester and I like a lot of, you know, a lot of the old school things. And that, I was actually reading that old school science fiction, though, that actually got me into feminist science fiction. So that was good. And Joanna Russ, which she does oh, a lot of crazy stuff. Fantastic. And of course, Le Guin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, and Octavia Butler and all of those. Yep. So so I started getting really into uh, that. Uh, and, you know, Trouble on Triton by um, Sam Delaney was also an excellent um, uh, far future uh uh, kind of space opera ish, I would call it. Um, so, so yeah, so I, I've read everything. Um, and I loved someone called this like a mashup between like weird, like new wave 70s science fiction and like old school golden age 50s science fiction. I was like, yes. Um, it has a lot of those sensibilities to it. This like crazy weirdness with that kind of a little bit of hopefulness, um, from like the golden age. Uh, so so yeah, um, I'm I'm tried to read as much as I could, and I was certainly inspired by uh, quite a bit, especially new stuff. Um, like that's the thing I run into with a lot of writers, especially once they start getting into a book a year, they don't keep up on new things. Um, they're like, well, I've read the classics, so I don't have to read anything else. I'm like, well, you got to read Ancillary Justice. Like, you got to read um, the fifth season. You got to read the stuff that is blowing you know people's socks off, so that you don't are not reinventing the wheel. And then, cause then, I, and that's what I feel a lot of this stuff happens. People start resenting that their books aren't selling or that there's not getting picked up or people aren't getting excited. And it's like, well, name me 10 books that you've read that came out in the last five years or even three books that came out in the last five years. And they usually can't. Um, and I'm like, well, then you're not hooked into what's exciting people right now. Mm. And you really need to keep up and keep reading um, so that you know uh, what's interesting and what's possible and, and what's exciting people, for sure. Absolutely. Um, I think I've made an, a conscious effort, especially to read uh, books published by women writers in science mm. fiction and fantasy over the past few years. And as a longtime fan, I was surprised at how much great stuff was coming out that I just had no idea about. And yep. it, it's, it's really eye-opening and fantastic, really. Oh, absolutely. I, I really feel like I, I pre-ordered more books this year, I think, than like for a long, long time. And some of that is just escapism. Uh, but some of that is also that there is an amazing amount of really good stuff. Um, I, I keep getting sent books to blurb and it's so hard because I can't get to them all. Um, but there is I, I do feel like we're in a really amazing golden age of science fiction Um that has not been seen in quite a while. Um, Nine Fox Gambit by Yoon Ha Lee um, is a great space opera that came out recently. Um, and uh, and there's just, you know, one thing after another coming out that it's like you can't even. <laughs> I was like, I, I read as fast as I can. Um, but yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, my list is just constantly growing. I'm like, no, mm-hmm. all the books. Mm-hmm. I know. All right, so... Um, Amongst all of these wonderful books that are coming out, why don't you give us a little pitch as to why we should be reading your book, Stars of Legion? You should read my book because it's about lesbians in space. I mean, really. Uh, No, it is, uh, you know, it is a fantastic, uh, if you want something weird and wild that you have never read or seen before, uh, that is absolutely the Stars of Legion. Um, You know, you've got this amnesiac in space, yeah, waking up among people who say they're her family, um, who has to figure out uh, exactly which side that she should be on. Um, While kind of, you know, delving into where it is and, and, you know, what's exactly going on 
um, in this perpetual war that's being fought between these two families. Uh, it's also, uh, I, no spoilers, but um, it's, it's one of the, um, it's, it's not a depressing uh, read. Uh, it, it's dark as far as like people doing things to each other, but it has kind of a, some hopeful optimism, which you don't often see in my books. Everyone has commented on there. So like, this is a little bit hopeful for a Cameron early novel. I'm like, yes, because I'm tired of writing about all the horrible things. We need some escapism now. Yeah, we, we really um, do need some escapism. We really do. <laughs> Yeah, so if you are tired of Grimdark because we are living in a Grimdark world now, um, this is has a little bit more of that hopeful future. Um, and I think I'm going to be writing a little bit more in that vein at this point um, for that exact reason. Um, so I, I think it's it's definitely worth, uh, worth you know, check, checking it out uh, to see if this is something that, that is up your alley. Thank you very, very much for talking to me today. It's been a pleasure. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Breaking the Glass Slipper will return in two weeks' time. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please support the podcast by following us on SoundCloud, iTunes, and everywhere else you could possibly imagine.